everyone, it's Brett, and welcome to FNW Stories Episode 4, where I'll be going over the early days of FNW. This episode is going to be an extension of Episode 1, as a new book has recently been released by Kazuhiro Kojima, who was a reporter for Weekly Pro Magazine during the late 80s and early 90s. And he wrote this book called The Men Who Made FNW, where he interviewed some FNW wrestlers as well as the people in the office to tell their story of the first two years of FNW, which would conclude with the 1991 Kawasaki Stadium show. He also wanted to write this book without including Asushi Onita in it, as he felt like these stories would be best without Onita's rose-colored vision about himself and he would get a more accurate version by those that were there for these events. So we start off going back to Asushi Onita working as a trainer for the JWP women's promotion. And like I talked about it in episode one, Onita has decided to come out of retirement in December 1988 after being retired for nearly four years. And he has a match with Gran Hamada at the JWP Corrigan Hall show. And I wanted to point out that this match was not accepted by the JWP fans as they came to see pretty women wrestle, knowing it wasn't going to be very good. But they didn't come to see men like Asushi Onita and Gran Hamada wrestle in front of them so the fans were not happy to have to sit through this match and after this JWP wrestler Rumi Kazama she would come to the ring and get on the mic and ask that JWP remain in all women's promotion no more men matches and the crowd would react to that with a big pop to her and going back to my first episode again, Onita, through his JWP connections, would end up leaving the promotion, but stay in touch with the martial arts union, and through them, Onita would then begin to visit Wally Yamaguchi at his Maniacs Pro Wrestling shop, where in the basement of this pro wrestling shop, they would store the JWP ring in it, and when it wasn't being used by JWP for their shows, the wrestlers that would eventually become Jado, Ghetto, and Super Delphin would train downstairs in the basement in the JWP ring. So then we fast forward to the first Onita Masashi Ayagi match on July 2nd, 1989 with Jado, Ghetto, and Super Delphin accompanying Onita to the ring as he would end up getting DQ'd by headbutting Ayagi and then throwing the referee out of the ring. And this would be the plan to set up two more matches with Onita taking on Ayagi one being in Oyagi's hometown of Nagoya, and the other being at Corrigan Hall in October of 1989, as those matches would be the main events of the first two FMW shows. So the story has always been that Atsushi Onita paid $500 to start up FMW, but that's really just based off him paying $500 to rent out an office room, which would actually be Wally Yamaguchi's maniac shop, as Yamaguchi would have to shut the shop down, as Onita would end up using that shop as the FMW office. Although, Onita would then have to scrape up another $280 for a landline phone in the office, so he really paid $780, and then he got an acquaintance in Kazuyoshi of Osako to lend him $10,000 to actually start FNW up, with Osako becoming the president of FNW based off him putting down that much money to help start FNW up for Onita. Onita was still flat broke though at this point and would not be able to continue to pay Yamaguchi the rent for the office and so he would be quickly kicked out of it and the relationship between Onita and Yamaguchi would sour after that although Yamaguchi's ties with the martial arts union were through Hisami Shima who I mentioned in episode 1 was done with Onita after the brawl at the announcement of the creation of FNW press conference between Onita and Ayagi and because Shima had booked the press conference at the hotel he had been given the bill due to the damage that was caused during it, ending the Onita and Shima relationship. Although I will go over more about this hotel brawl here later in the episode. 
So Onita would end up moving into a hotel room right by Corrigan Hall that he got a great deal on, and he set up the FNW office there. Although Onita didn't want to live in this hotel that long, so he reached out to Kiyoshi Miki Ibaragi, who had worked the office for All Japan Women's, and he had recently quit that promotion and been offered a job with FMW as Onita asked Ibaragi if they could live together for the time being. Ibaragi took the job with FMW, but he declined the idea of Onita moving in and living with him, as he didn't mind the idea of working with Onita, but did not like the idea of living with Onita and seeing him 24-7, 365 days a year. The next person hired by FNW would be Ted Tanabe to become the referee and salesperson for FNW, although he would end up getting fired by Onita pretty early on after a friend of Ted's, who was a promoter, asked if Ted could put up a New Japan poster for a show that he was promoting, and word would get back to Onita about that, and Onita would fire Ted right on the spot after working for FNW just a couple months, and then a man named Hideki Takahashi, who I'll talk about later, would end up being hired to fill in for Ted. Then FNW would look to hire a ring announcer, with their first idea being to try and steal the JWP ring announcer and get him to quit JWP to join FNW, but he would decline, so Onita would hold a tryout that was advertised in the Pro Wrestling Weekly magazine in Japan, and only two people would end up showing up. Tahui Taiyo and Shoichi Arai, with both of them being hired. Taiyo would announce all the matches on the first FNW show, and then Arai would end up announcing the Onita vs. Ayagi main event match. Taiyo just wanted to be a part of the company, though, and didn't really want to be a ring announcer, so there really was no competition between him and Arai, as Taiyo would end up working for the office in FNW, while Arai would end up taking over full-time as the ring announcer. So with FNW coming into place, and Onita already having been in contact with Super Delphin, Jado, and Ghetto, with them accompanying him to the ring for the first Ayagi match, they would all agree to join FNW with him with the idea of them all working undercard matches for the first couple of FNW shows to start the promotion off. Now going back to July 28, 1989, for the official press conference for the creation of FNW, and you have Ayagi attacking Onita during it, and I talked about it in episode 1, how Onita used a blood capsule to sell the attack from Ayagi. Well, actually, Super Delphin says that Onita came up to him before the press conference and said, Ayagi's going to attack me, and I want to spit blood to sell the attack. So Onita would actually ask Super Delphin to give him his blood so Onita could keep it in his mouth during the press conference. And I'm guessing it's the same as the mist in the condom trick that wrestlers do, as Super Delphin didn't go into details of how Onita planned on doing it. But Delphin was like, I don't mind giving you my blood for it. But do you really want someone else's blood in your mouth? And Onita's like, yep, give it to me. So that is actually Super Delphin's blood that Onita is spitting out after getting attacked by a Yugi at the press conference. Mm. And Delphin is just like, wow, this guy is crazy, but I gotta respect him for as this is definitely the circus. Also, for the record, the very first FNW wrestling match was Monkey Magic Wakata, who was Super Delphin, taking on Boat People Joe, who was actually Jado under a mask, which was not known as Jado that day did not know if he wanted his identity out there just yet. Although, a couple months later, he would wrestle under his real name, Shoji Akiyoshi, without the mask, and get the crap beat out of him by Masanobu Kurosu. 
Speaking of Masanobu Kurosu, he had started off as a New Japan wrestler before becoming an All Japan wrestler, and then eventually he would be made to retire by Giant Baba in January 1988. As like what Onita had to go through, you were pretty much forced into retirement by not getting booked any longer by either of the top two promotions. Well, Onita calls Kurosu about working FNW, and Kurosu is super excited because he's getting another shot at becoming a wrestler after thinking his career had been over for nearly two years. So with Kurosu joining FNW, he's going to be in the top three ranking uh, along with Onita and Tarzan Goto, as well as Dick Murdoch, he's going to be assigned the top foreign wrestler for the promotion. As back in the first couple of months of FNW, it was not a given that FNW would just be all about Onita. It would be about Onita, Goto, Kurosu, Dick Murdoch, all four of them kind of being equals of one another, with Onita just being one of the top wrestlers, not the top wrestler. Mickey Ibaragi, he was able to get Dick Murdoch to join FNW after his New Japan contract had expired. And Ibaragi was surprised that these top foreign wrestlers were actually obtainable on FNW's budget as the only free agent that was too expensive to bring in was Mil Mascaris. The big dream of FNW was to be able to make it one year as Onita wanted the first year anniversary show to have the main event be Terry Funk take on Dick Murdoch at Sumo Hall. Now, going back to Super Delphin, Jado, and Ghetto, Ghetto, he was originally assigned as Onita's ring attendant, so he was going to be Onita's young boy. He would walk Onita to the ring and, he, and get Onita whatever he wanted. Well, Onita and Ghetto, they would end up getting into an argument with one another, and Onita would end up firing Ghetto as his ring boy. So even though Ghetto was not actually fired from FMW, he was scheduled to wrestle the first couple of FMW shows, and because of that argument with Onita, he was not allowed to debut in FMW in Japan just yet and so he is there with the company but he's pretty much just now in the background and then you have Super Delvin he was another young boy who was helping set up the ring do all his extra jobs and responsibilities as well as wrestle and on the third FMW show to take place on December 1st 1989 in Osaka this is the first show of a 10-day tour in December and it's pretty much just a house show and it's almost time for the fans to start coming in when Kurosu goes to ringside and sees that the ring has not even been set up yet and the steel poles that set up the ring they're not straight they're slanted and he goes up to Delphin one of the young boys who's in charge of setting it up and he goes over to him and he's like what's up with the ring and Kurosu's kind of frustrated as Delphin's like oh I'm sorry we'll have it up here in a minute and then Delphin tells him oh by the way we're scheduled to have a match on the show today and this being Osaka this is Super Delphin's hometown and he's bought a whole bunch of tickets for friends and family to come see him including his parents and Kurosu's like wait why are you just telling me this now as this is a pretty big deal this is a pretty important match for you with your family coming around ringside and you're just now telling me about it why didn't you tell me about this before? So going into the match, Kurosu is really frustrated at Delphin, and during it, he just starts beating the crap out of him, hitting him over the back as hard as he could with the chair, punching him, kicking him. He picks him up and just drops him with no give, and then begins to pull Delphin's arm back with Delphin giving up immediately for the Kurosu win. 
So Dolphin pretty much just gets the young boy. You haven't paid your dues from Kurisu experience and, you know, pretty much got the crap beat out of him in front of his hometown. And Dolphin goes to Jado and Ghetto, his friends, and is like, he shot on me during that match. That was, you know, he beat the crap out of me during it. So you fast forward a week and a half later, and now Jado is scheduled to take on Kurisu in a singles match. And Jado starts to complain, going, I don't want to have a match with Kurisu. He's going to do the same thing to me that he did to Delphin earlier on the tour. Well, this complaining gets back to Kurisu, who doesn't take kindly to hearing about some rookie complaining about not wanting to work with the veteran. So during the match, Kurisu sends Jado out of the ring and just begins to smash him over the head with a chair twice, which legit knocks Jado silly. And then he ends up getting back in the ring, and Kurisu just begins kicking Jado as hard as he could. And they end up going back to a normal match with Jado getting some spots in before Kurisu would just begin legit kicking him in the head as hard as he could, which would knock Jado out. And Jado would end up staying down as the match would end, as Kurisu would win. Kurisu would end up staying in the ring afterwards to check on Jado before, okay, he's fine, and just walking out of the ring. Kurisu just felt like he was teaching Jado the rigors of pro wrestling, and it's tough, and you're going to get hurt. Then you fast forward to the main event of the show, which would be FMW's first barbed wire death match, and they did not know what they were doing. So they brought a sharp as you can get barbed wire that will rip you up bad. And Delphin, who's doing his job as a young boy, he's setting up the ring with the barbed wire with gloves on, and the barbed wire is still really hurting his hands, even with the gloves. So he's like, if I stay in this promotion, I'm going to have to wrestle in a match like this eventually, and I don't want to do that. Then during the match, Onita gets sliced up pretty bad, and FNW afterwards would begin to use not a sharp barbed wire, which would still cut you up pretty bad, but nothing compared to what they used the first time. So between Delphin not wanting to wrestle in barbed wire matches and the Kurisu incident that he had, Jado's Kurisu incident, and Ghetto getting into a fight with Onita while being his ring boy and never even wrestling for FNW, they would all get together and decide that they're going to leave FNW and join the new Universal promotion ran by Gran Hamada. They would reach out to Mitsuhiro Matsunaga about joining them and leaving FMW, with Matsunaga turning them down, but then he would end up leaving a couple weeks later afterwards as the negotiations between Ayagi and Onida would fall apart, and Ayagi would make his student Matsunaga leave FMW with him, although Matsunaga would hate leaving FMW as he loved being a part of FMW at this point as his dream was to be a wrestler and he had just gotten to be in the main event of a Corrigan Hall show and as everyone would find out later, Matsunaga is not scared of any type of deathmatch. Then the next Corrigan Hall show would be on January 7, 1990, which would be a mixed martial arts open tournament, and they would bring in all these different types of fighters, including Onita, bringing in his acquaintance, this unknown kickboxer, and the office would be like, hey, Onita, what's this kickboxer that your friends with name? And Onita would go, Kazushi Ueda. And so that's what they would write down. Well, it turns out his actual name was Susomo Ueda, but he would go by the name Kazushi Ueda for the rest of his pro wrestling career after being announced as it, as Ueda didn't blame Onita for messing up the name and just went along with it and said, in FMW, I am Kazushi Ueda. Another fighter in this tournament would be Satoshi Imazumi, a former judo fighter who was brought into the tournament, as he's this guy that owned a ramen shop that Sambo Asaku would always go into, and with the tournament taking place, Sambo Asaku goes, hey, you have a judo background, you want to enter into this tournament?
and he would accept the invitation and compete in the tournament. Uh, then Onita would find a guy with a great body and this great look and thought he was going to be the new star of FMW. But after talking to him, he realized that this guy was not mentally all there and he would end up dropping him from the tournament at the last moment. This guy would go on to train in Wing and was going to be called Rikio, but then Wing would end up picking up on the same issues that Onita did and they would end up dropping him before he would ever make his debut for them as well. Well, with Onita dropping this guy, this would leave an opening in the tournament, and they would end up getting in contact with the Taekwondo fighter, Lee Gaksu, to take his place. So, the whole point of this tournament would be to establish the WWA Brass Knuckles Heavyweight title. And even though Onita didn't want to win the tournament, he wanted to be the first real champion. So, they would bring in Randy Neverman as Beast the Barbarian and proclaim him the current WWA Brass Knuckles champion, with Onita beating him in the tournament and winning the title before losing to Tarzan Goto in the next round in a non title match. And then Kurosu would end up beating Goto in the finals of that tournament. Well, the whole plan for the belt was originally for Masashi Ayagi to become the first WWE Brass Knuckles champion and defended against Onita, Matsunaga, Goto, etc. But before this tournament would even take place, Onita knew that Ayagi was not coming back, so he decided to put the title on himself instead. So then we get to the February 1990 Corrigan Hall show, and that's when Megumi Kudo and Ribbon Amada, they attend this show live, and I talked about it last episode, about how Kudo kept kayfabe and just said that Amada had asked her to go to this FNW show, when in reality, they were meeting there to go to meet with Onita after the show, looking for a job. As Kudo in this book mentions that it was actually her idea to go to the show, as she wanted to get back into the wrestling business, and it just so happened that FNW was the next show lined up at Corrigan Hall, as she could have possibly gone to the next Pioneer Sensei show and tried to get a job there and become a luchador instead of a deathmatch wrestler. Kudo originally didn't ask Combat Toyota about joining them because Combat Toyota already had that job as a road assistance navigator and Kudo figured that Toyota was just done with wrestling. But when it got brought up in conversation afterwards, Toyota expressed interest as long as it wasn't going to be strict like All Japan Women's was where they pretty much controlled what you did and when. And so when Toyota would end up joining FNW, she couldn't believe how free it was compared to All Japan Women's as they did not keep tabs on them at all as FNW was nothing compared to the strict All Japan Women's world. So after the Yayagi and Matsunaga group left, the only heel they really had now was Matsunobu Kurosu, and they would end up doing Onita versus Kurosu in the barbed wire outside the ring match, and afterwards Onita would win, and they now needed someone else to be the top heel. Well, they would get in touch with Dragon Master, who was best known as Kendo Nagasaki, as he had just finished up with WCW back in February, and they would sign him to a one-tour contract. Well, FNW, knowing that Nagasaki could be a top heel for them going forward, they tried to get him to commit to a long-term deal, and he would just tell them, no, only one tour, because this promotion, SWS, is starting up in September, and I've already agreed to work there, so this one FNW tour is the only thing I'm allowed to do before SWS starts up. So they put Nagasaki and Kurosu in a tag match against Onita and Goto, and it would be a Texas street fight for the April Corrigan Hall show. And this is a really memorable match where they would brawl all over Corrigan Hall at a time that you just did not see this kind of fighting going on. And this is a big thing for FNW as it proved that they didn't have to do a barbed wire match in order to run a successful show. 
But after this, not only did Nagasaki not come back, but now Kurosu, he is letting them know that he's only going to do one more tour because New Japan has asked him to come back, so he's heading back to his original promotion. So for the next tour, they bring in Ricky Fuji from Canada and have him aligned with Kurosu to have him take his spot after the tour with Kurosu not coming back. And it should be noted that Kurosu was having some issues with FMW as after the street fight, Tarzan Goto had complained afterwards that his whole offense is based around using chairs as a weapon. So Kurosu was really ready to lead the promotion and make real money with New Japan anyway. But obviously Ricky Fuji isn't going to be this long-term heel for Onita. So Mickey Ibaragi, he's friends with Mr. Pogo, who's wrestling in Puerto Rico, and asked him if he could come back to Japan and begin working for FMW, with Pogo agreeing to work part-time in FMW and then part-time in Puerto Rico, as he still lived in Puerto Rico at this time. Pogo was known because he had appeared on television for New Japan, so this was a big get for FNW to have him feud with Onita, although they had already pulled the trigger on turning Tarzan Goto heel and feuding with Onita going forward. And this feud would start with them having an empty arena match, with Onita taking from Memphis with Jerry Lawler and Terry Funk, with no fans seeing it, so that it would lead to the big show in August between the two for fans to actually be able to see the match. Onita would then tell the office that he wanted this match with Tarzan Goto to be big, so it couldn't just be a barbed wire match, and he didn't want anything to do with fire, so come up with something new. So Hideki Takahashi, who I mentioned earlier, he uh, would end up starting up the Super Battle FNW promotion in 2015. He had previously worked for All Japan Women's before being hired at the start of the year after Ted Tanabe had been let go. Well, he had previously been a manager for the J-pop girls group Saint 4 before getting into wrestling, and he remembered meeting with a contractor that could do a capsule that could be set up and cause explosions for their concerts. So Takahashi would end up meeting with this pyrotechnician contractor and he would show him in a parking lot about how you set these capsules that let out these loud and oppressive looking explosions that also weren't going to seriously injure you. FNW office member Shinda Indo, he would come up with the idea about how to add explosives to the barbed wire itself and when you touch the barbed wire, someone with the switch would then turn it on for the explosions to come out of the barbed wire. And Shoichi Arai, he would draw up the blueprint of how adding it to the barbed wire would look for the media. This show would have to be outside, though, so they would select this lot in Shiodome, which actually had a roof over it in case it rained, and there was actually supposed to be a typhoon that would hit that day, but luckily it uh, nearly avoided them. And Onita and Goto, they would have the very first exploding barbed wire deathmatch, and the explosions would come out of the barbed wire, and this is the first time anyone has seen anything like this, as the explosions are just attached to this barbed wire, so it would just shock all the fans and seeing it for the first time, and looking back, the explosions look pretty bleak, especially compared to all the explosions they would do later on, but this is the first time, and it was a big shock to everyone seeing it. And Onita, he ends up winning the match against Goto, and, he, and Goto ends up turning face afterwards, and this match would go on to win match of the year, and Onita ends up winning MVP in 1990 because of it, and of course, Onita, at, over time, would do interviews about this exploding barbed wire match, and it would just become, and he still says it to this day, that he created the exploding barbed wire when it was really Hideki Takahashi coming up with the idea and the rest of the FNW office uh, you know, coming up with different aspects of it. And really the only thing 
Onita did to come up with it was that he ordered them to come up with a new deathmatch idea for him. FNW would then begin to focus on their next big show, with them planning on it taking place at Sumo Hall, with Onita making the announcement that the FNW first year anniversary show would take place on October 1st, 1990 at Sumo Hall to the media. The problem is, though, FNW had not signed a contract with Sumo Hall, and then Sumo Hall would end up declining the FNW negotiations of running the building because years earlier, Bruiser Brody had scratched up their walls with a chain, and once they found out that FNW was this promotion that's known for street fights outside the ring and brawling, they would turn them down. They really wanted to do a show in October, though, since FNW had started in October 1989, but there was just no building they would want to run that was available in October, so they would end up picking the Komazawa Olympic Park Gym for November 5th, 1990, which they were going to be renovating that building anyway afterwards, so FNW was free to do whatever they wanted in this building. So by this time, there was no way that Onita's original dream of Terry Funk taking on Dick Murdoch for the FNW first anniversary show was going to happen, as Dick Murdoch was already gone from FNW, and Terry Funk had just returned to All Japan the previous month after being gone for three years, and he was about to do another tour with them this upcoming month. So then the FNW office just starts throwing names out for Onita to face in the main event of this show, and Onita goes, hey, what about Jose Gonzalez? the man who killed Bruiser Brody two years earlier in Puerto Rico, as Mr. Pogo had connections with Puerto Rico and could bring him in. This was actually something that Onita had always wanted to do when he started up FMW, as in November 1989, after just holding those first two shows, Onita would hold a fan gathering in Osaka with his newfound popularity after the feud with Iyagi, and he would ask the fans that attended the show, who do you guys want to see me fight next in FMW? And a majority of the fans started screaming out, Terry Funk! While some of the fans did start to scream out, Abdullah the Butcher! Well, Onita no-sells both those names what the fans were screaming, and he goes, Who wants to see me get revenge on Jose Gonzalez and avenge the death of Bruiser Brody? And all the fans go quiet, and just one fan in the whole room raises his hand, and Onita's confused by this lack of reaction from the fans. So Onita starts to look into getting Jose Gonzalez for the show, and they already start hearing that if they bring in Jose Gonzalez, that not only are they going to lose sponsors, but Pro Wrestling Weekly, the biggest magazine company, will never cover FMW again. Well, Onita ends up going to Puerto Rico, and they do this angle where Jose Gonzalez and Mr. Pogo and others jump Onita, and they reenact the stabbing of Bruiser Brody's death. And there's been stories that Jose Gonzalez did not know about the stabbing, and Onita would stab himself afterwards as they wanted to get pictures of the attack and make it look like he tried to kill Onita. But Pogo would write in his book that they were indeed paid to stab Onita during this incident. So Onita gets all this blowback from this angle, and they decide to finally just drop it, and they are probably going to go with Onita versus Pogo for the main event of the first year anniversary show, although Pogo hasn't really been established as this big-time heel yet, and after you do an exploding barbed wire match, it's hard to come back and just do a Texas death match, which is the plan of what they're going to do. Before that anniversary show, though, FNW would end up holding a no-ring match that would get some attention as there was a typhoon that day of the show and the wrestlers, they would end up getting to the building okay, 
on their bus, but the truck carrying the ring would end up getting stuck in this big traffic jam. So FNW would announce that this show would be a no-ring show with a bunch of mats in place on the floor instead. But it would turn out that the truck would actually arrive with the ring in time, but by that point, they had already gotten some people excited and some attention about this show that you've never seen, a, a show with no ring, you know, on mats instead. So because of this, they would decide, let's just do the no ring show anyway. So that's what they would decide to do, just a show without a ring, and they would brawl all over the building on the mats and, and whatnot, and this would actually be the debut show for the gladiator Mike Awesome in FMW. Then as we're getting closer to the anniversary show, Asushi Onita and Mickey Ibaragi, they begin to have issues. Ibaragi had been in charge of coming up with the names for all the tours and the big shows, and he kept coming up with names with all the titles in English. Battle Crush, Battle Mission, Battlefield, Summer Passion, and Onita is sick of it, and he wants Japanese names, and takes the job away from Ibaragi and gives it to Arai. So the title of the anniversary show is Yamato Damamashi. This would begin the deep rift between Onita and Ibaragi, which would conclude with them having issues over the FNW video rights. Onita could not pay Ibaragi that much, so he let Mickey Ibaragi's Miracle Video Company have the video rights to FNW. Well, in 1991, FNW is growing and making more money, and they've moved into a nice office, and Onita says everyone in the FNW office is going to get a raise. And everyone did end up getting a raise besides Ibaragi. So Ibaragi ended up just keeping the video distribution money all to himself. And he felt that this was his video company. They were recording it. The video company was doing the editing. And he's, he's not making that much money in FNW otherwise. And after it's brought up that FNW is really mad at Ibaragi for taking all the FNW video distribution money for himself, he would just stop showing up at the FNW office and essentially quit without even telling them. Then around the same time, Kazuyoshi Osaka, who had the money to start up FNW originally with his $10,000 and was made president for it, asked that his wife become the accountant of FNW. And everyone agreed that was fine until Onita found out about it and he nixed it right away. Which upset Osaku, who FNW couldn't even have started this promotion without his money, so he would also quit FNW. And Osaku and Ibaragi, they would end up joining together to start up a rival promotion that would become known as Wing Together, which I'll go over that story in another episode. And since Mr. Pogo had loyalty to Ibaragi, since that's who brought him into FNW originally, when Pogo finds out that Ibaragi had left FNW, he agrees to leave FNW as well and join up this new promotion with Ibaragi with the plan that Pogo is going to be the star of this new promotion. Before that, though, he had a match with Onita in an exploding landmine deathmatch in Osaka, which would get the cover of Pro Wrestling Weekly, although the picture would just be of Mr. Pogo, which would piss Onita off. So Onita starts to ignore Pro Wrestling Weekly and thinks he's punishing them by not giving them access to what's going on in FNW, all the while Pro Wrestling Weekly, they already know that Mr. Pogo is leaving FNW, but since Onita's not in contact with the magazine, reporters, he doesn't know that Mr. Pogo's leaving. Since Pogo and Ibaragi and all them, they're keeping this a secret. Pogo's pretty much a spy at this point. So Onita and Pogo, they would end up doing this angle where Pogo acts like he's going to turn face and join up with Onita only to turn heel at the end of the show and blow fire at Onita. Well then after this, Pogo would end up leaving afterwards with FMW not being aware that Pogo wasn't coming back. And he ends up leaving, getting the upper hand on Onita with Onita thinking that he this was just being built up. 
for Onita versus Pogo at Kawasaki Stadium in September with Onita getting the win when in fact Pogo who was advertised for the next tour in June just wouldn't show up so Onita had pretty much worked himself by not giving Pro Wrestling Weekly access and Onita and Pro Wrestling Weekly would soon end up making up after that. So with Pogo leaving FNW, FNW decides to turn Tarzan Goto heel once again, and now he's going to take on Onita at Kawasaki Stadium instead. And they would run this angle with Pogo quitting FNW that Tarzan Goto had also decided he wanted to quit FNW, but he was still under contract, so he would begin just these vicious beatings on the other FNW wrestlers, as well as buy a ticket to a wing show and attend one of their shows to make it look like he wanted to join the enemy, although to avoid any actual interaction with anyone in wing, he would show up in the middle of the show, get some pictures taken of him there, and then leave after a couple of minutes. Ibaraki didn't want Goto, though, as the only two FMW wrestlers that he wanted to leave FMW for wing was Riki Fuji and Megumi Kudo. Riki Fuji would get asked in person, and he would decline, going, no, I want to stay in FMW. And when they would ask Kudo, they would call her house line, and they would leave an answering machine message to Kudo on her house line, hey, will you meet up with us at a coffee shop about, you know, plans for your future? Well, Kudo would never end up getting this answering machine message, and so she would never call back. And Kudo, in the book, would end up saying that she doesn't even remember ever getting this message from Ibaragi or anyone associated with Wing, but she wouldn't have left FNW anyway. So then, Taihui Taiyo, who I mentioned earlier, he had been hired as a ring announcer along with Shoichi Arai, and then eventually began working in the office. He would decide to leave FNW along with Ibaragi and join this wing side, as he would side with Ibaragi. But he also wanted out of FNW, knowing there was going to be big-time issues for this large event that summer. That would be the FNW Deathmatch Tournament combined with these rock concerts from several bands playing on August 17, 1991. They wanted this show to draw 100,000 fans for this event, but this show would be a disaster. And this event was pretty much out in the middle of nowhere, and this event would not draw anywhere close to what they had hoped. As FMW would only announce 48,000 fans for this show, which I'm sure was a work number as well, and they would actually end up in a lawsuit as a result of this, with them being big time in the red for this event. But just a month later, FMW would run the Kawasaki Stadium show, and for promotion by themselves, having never drawn 10,000 people for an event, they would end up drawing over 30,000 fans to see Asushi Onita defeat Tarzan Goto, in a, in a cage match that would explode when they would hit the cage. And once again, Onita would defeat Goto. And once again, they would become friends going into the end of the year where that's where the book stops. And I'm going to stop here as well as I'm going to come back for another episode to talk about the expansion in popularity of FMW and Asushi Onita going into his retirement show in 1995. And that is pretty much it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to check out more about FNW, I have a website, BahuFNW.com or FNWWrestling.us, where I have over 20 years' worth of FNW information listed, news, results, all about FNW, as well as DVDs and MP4s of pretty much every FNW show available for sale. 
as well as several other promotions like Big Japan, All Japan, as well as Freedoms. Also, if you ever want to watch these videos with clips to go along with them, you can just check out my YouTube page at Brett FMW, which also includes all 50 episodes of the History of FMW series. Or if you want to just listen to these in podcast form on your phone or anything like that, you can just search History of FMW on iTunes and all the podcast websites, and these episodes will come up as well. And that is pretty much it. Thank you guys so much for watching, and I'll see you next time.